So glad that you're with us. We are going to do a, a kind of a short little series for two weeks. Uh, this week, focusing on God's word and the blessing of that in our life. And next week, focusing on not just being hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. And Pastor Ben Hacker from Eastside Church is going to be here preaching on James chapter one in a very kind of famous section there. And then after that, uh, we're going to take a little bit of a pause in our series on Matthew, and we'll return to that soon enough, but we're going to be focusing a few weeks on um, just the topic of what does the Bible say about us as human beings as it relates to gender, and that's something that we um, are seeing discussed and, and talked about a lot in our culture, and we feel like as elders that that's something that we need to have clarity on. What does the Bible say about how God has made us as male and female in his image? And so we're going to dive into that in a more, um, hopefully more in-depth, um, in a way that we've never done at the Vine. And so we want to let you know about that coming up in the new year. In addition, when it comes to like the Bible and how to understand it, I just want to put a plug in for Porterbrook. Um, it's, a, it's a short course that meets 1045 next door on the second level. And this next, uh, this next coming week, we start a new course on how to interpret God's word. And I would really encourage you to check that out. Um, understanding how to interpret is a really, really important skill. Everybody's an interpreter. Like everybody's an interpreter. You can't not be an interpreter. Uh, the question is, do you have the right tools and the blessings uh, to go about that in a way that is appropriate. And so we want to equip you with that. And so if you are interested in that, we just want you to sign up so we can make the appropriate uh, preparations for that. So that's just the sign-up tab, thevinemadison.org. All right, so today we're looking at Psalm chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Uh, if you don't, it'll be on the screen, or there's some in the back here for you. We're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 1. And I want to look at it right out of the gate here and seek to understand it. We're actually just going to be looking at three verses, verses one, two, and three. And there's a lot packed in here for us to unpack. And so let's just start here with this first sentence. Blessed is the man or woman who, okay, so we have to understand what this word blessed means. The word blessed means in the original Hebrew to be happy, to be happy. So right off the bat, the opening sentence in the whole book of Psalms, which is a worship book for God's people, there's a statement here about happiness. There's a claim from the psalmist, from God's word, God himself speaking to his people saying, I know what it means for you to be happy. This is how I define happiness. But the problem is there's so many other competing claims in our culture. And it's just kind of the, the water we swim in. It's kind of the air we breathe. Constantly being sent messages about what will make us happy. A, a prime one that all of us can understand is we live in a world of advertising. We live in a culture of advertising. It's so ubiquitous. It's so much everywhere that I don't even think we recognize it because it just always is, Right? I mean, I don't know many people that actually watch TV anymore. Um, it used to be, you know, the commercials on TV shows. 
But now it's commercials on our streaming services, commercials on social media, cons- uh, commercials on, on, um, on uh, YouTube. Commercials are everywhere. So the advertising hasn't changed. It's just the form with which it comes to us has changed. And they're just masters of getting our attention. And there's masters of communicating a message that basically says, if you don't have A, B, and C, what? You'll be left out. You won't be cool. You won't get what you want. You know, if you want to have a, a, a great looking husband or wife, well, then you've got to drink this kind of beer. Like, where did, in the world did that come from? But that's the one-to-one connection. That's the message that you see in advertising or whatever. You've never seen a commercial where the message was implied, like, if you buy this, your life will be horrible. That doesn't exist. It's the opposite. If you just consume what we're trying to sell you, man, you're going to be happy. Well, there's lots of messages that we're being bombarded with on how to be blessed, how to be happy. And the question for us this morning, the overarching question is, who are we going to believe? I really want to encourage us as Christians to not just be passive receivers of of, of messages that are everywhere in our world, but to stop and to think to think theologically, to think biblically. Okay, there's a message coming out. I mean, I train, I train my kids to do this. Like, we need to think critically. Like, we watch a movie. Okay, what? We just, you know, we're working through the, the old Star Wars movies before we watch the final one and get, you know, seven, eight, nine. And I'm just watching, you know, Return of the Jedi last night with the family. And there's a message there. There's a message there. So we want my kids to be able to go, okay, there's a message here. I'm not going to be a passive receiver, but I want to be able to think critically. I want to think theologically, think biblically about this message. And that's one of the things that's going to be so important for us as we walk through this world, through this life. And as we receive messages about here's how you can be blessed Here's how you can be blessed. Here's how you can be blessed. A lot of them are lies. And God's word makes the, tru- makes the truth claim this morning that there's one way to be blessed. Well, we have to see this negatively first. Let's look at what the psalmist does. We have to look, he says, don't do it this way. He says, here's the negative aspect. Blessed is the man who doesn't do something who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So what is the psalmist describing here? Walking, standing, sitting. What's the point? I think what he's doing is describing the the totality of one's life. Like almost every aspect of our life, minus sleeping, you're walking, you're standing, or you're sitting somewhere. That's just your life minus sleeping. And so he's just saying, as you go through this life, the pathway of blessing is not constantly submerging yourself in a culture that mocks God. Those that scoff at the Lord. 
those who would be like the fool in Psalm 14. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. So he's just saying, that this is a bold claim, the psalmist says, there's no blessing in wickedness, no blessing in scoffing at God, no blessing in just being in this constant culture and, and just like associating and, and, um, and just imbibing those that celebrate sin. That doesn't mean we don't hang out with people that don't know the Lord, but what's the totality of your life? That's the question. And so he's just saying, it's real simple, real black and white. There's no blessing there. There's no blessing there. So that's the negative side. What about the positive side? We know not what, what we're not to do, but what are we to do? So let's look at the contrast. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But now we get to the positive side. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So the psalmist here is just talking about God's revelation of himself. And from a New Testament perspective, from where we sit right now, this is just the Bible. You could translate this, but his delight is in the revelation of God, the Bible. And on it he meditates day and night, meaning he's consumed with it. He loves it. He can't get enough of it. Now this verb delight here, his delight is intentional. He could have put any number of verbs in there, but his work is in the law of the Lord, but his burden is in the law of the Lord, but his pursuit is in the law of the Lord. He doesn't say that though, does he? He says his delight. His delight is in God's revelation of himself. So here's what we have so far. The psalmist claims that happiness, blessedness, is not found in chasing things of the world, but rather delighting in who God is as he has revealed himself, as he's spoken to us. Like, this is who I am. This is what I've done. It's all in God's word. That's what my delight is. My delight is in God's word. But here's the problem that I think hits home for most of us, myself included. What happens when we don't feel like we're delighting? In God's word. What happens when we feel like there isn't a delight? It's a great question. What happens when we feel like, man, I, I know I'm supposed to read my Bible, but it just feels like a chore and I just don't want to do it. I relate to that. Well, I think it's like in almost any other aspect of life where we know something is good for us, it's hard to do it consistently, to want to, like eating right, exercising, getting up and going to work every day, staying faithful to your marriage when it's hard. My experience is this, by faith, by faith, meaning we're trusting in something, by faith, we're gonna, just to do the silly Nike slogan, we're gonna just do it. Meaning, we're not going to wait until we feel it. We're just going to start and see that God might change our emotions about it after having done it. Does that make sense? Believing, again, this is the faith part, faith part believing that by faith there's a reward 
on the other side of that act of obedience to just do it. So let me give you some examples that everybody could probably relate to. Uh, like, it's like exercise, right? So exercise is a very important part of my life. Over 40, I just realized that if I don't have a, a lifestyle of exercise, my body is just going to increasingly hurt more. And I'm just trying to slow down that process, you know, just trying to slow that down. And so I'm committed to it. But there's a lot of days, you know, three or four days a week, my wife and I are just like, ugh, who wants to exercise? Let's just sit on the couch and eat chips, right? That's way more fun. Like, why would we want to exercise? That just does not sound good. But by faith, we believe that if we do it, there's a reward that waits, awaits us. And without fail, every time, whether it's maybe just taking a walk or doing something easy, but still doing something, at the end of that half an hour, man, the head feels clearer. The anxiety's decreased a little bit. The nervous energy's, you know, just faded a little bit. You know, you're just glad that you did it. I've almost never had a time where I wasn't glad that I exercised. Or maybe it's like eating right, you know? It's like December, it's a hard month to be eating right, right? Just, here we got it this morning, cookies on the counter. Uh, you know, we got Christmas cookies everywhere. It's just hard to eat right in December. Well, we know that, like, if we eat right, we just feel better. But that's, what fun is that, right? It's back to eating chips on the couch, right? That's fun. That feels good in the moment. But, man, without question, if I, if I persevere, believing that, knowing that at the end of two weeks of eating right, man, I just feel better. I sleep better. My head's clearer. I have more energy. So I'm going to just do it, believing there's a reward on the other side of it. And then in the process, I find that my emotions change. Wow, I'm starting to taste the reward of this. I didn't want to do it at the start, but in the, in the process, I'm starting to believe that, man, there's something here that equates to my blessing. And I think it's the same with God's word. It's the same with God's word. God's promise is right here that we're going to see in the rest of this text. That if you just do it, that's going to produce something in your life. And as you see what that produces over time, that's going to equate to probably your heart changing to delighting more in doing it. And, and day after day after day, you know, it's not ever going to be perfect, but you start to see that your spiritual taste buds just start to change. This is just a picture of what it means to walk by faith. God, I don't totally understand it, but I believe that you reward those, Hebrews eleven six. you reward those that earnestly seek you. So I'm going to seek you right now, even though I don't feel it, and trusting that you're going to change my heart in the process because I know that you love me and you've said this is good for me, so I'm going to trust you. God loves to answer prayers like that. God loves to answer prayers like that. God, I, I, would you just help me? God, would you just help me? I'm not feeling it right now. God, would you help me as I persevere in obedience? So what's the result that we can focus on that helps us persevere in obedience to, to, to fight for delight in God's word? Well, let's look at it. This is, I, I find this really motivating, really motivating. And the psalmist uses a vivid metaphor here. He says, when you delight in God's word, 
when you make a priority for soaking in who God is and what he's revealed about himself and what he's revealed about us and our plan for salvation and our life, you're going to be like something. Here's what you're going to be like. Verse 3, you're going to be like a tree planted by streams of water. Well, what does that mean? Why does the psalmist use that metaphor that I'm going to be like a tree? Have you ever tried to uproot a tree like with your bare hands? Well, if it's dead, it's usually not that hard. I mean, a small tree. But even a small tree, maybe with a trunk like this, if it's green, there's no chance that you're pulling that out of the ground by yourself. If it's dead, you can push it over. That's not that hard. I remember a, a neighbor was taking down a huge hickory tree in our neighborhood, and they had to kind of thread the needle on this tree so that they didn't harm anything, you know, houses around. They had to kind of make sure this tree dropped right in the place where they wanted it to. And so what they did is they hooked up a wench to it. It's like a cable on a motorized pulley. And they strapped this, this cable to it. The tree is upright like this. Then the guys come and they, they um, just start sawing away at the base of it. And then, the tree, and then they start pulling it. And so they can slowly saw more and pull more, saw more and pull more. And they got that tree past 45 degrees and it was still, it hadn't fallen yet. It was still just hanging there with, with you know, a, a little bit of it connected. And what that showed me was, like, man, these trees, when they're green, it was a green, healthy tree. It just had to be removed because of some work on the street. Uh, when those trees are green and they have nourishment, meaning they have water in them. That's what a green tree is. It's, they're so heavy because they're filled with water. Man, those things are strong, really, really strong. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. When you've got a source of nourishment, when you've got a source of food, man, you're going to have strength like a tree that's planted by a source of nourishment, water. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to have challenges. That doesn't mean that we're not going to suffer. Sometimes we feel like all it would, sometimes we feel like a dead tree. All it would take is just a little, little push and we would just cr crumble, right? I feel like that sometimes. But what does God's word say? It says, if you stay close to me through my word, it's not that there won't be storms in your life, but there's a difference between trees. One that is dead and it gets struck by lightning, it's over. A tree that's alive and planted by a source of nourishment, it can get struck by lightning. But it's probably not going to topple over. We all experience weather challenges. But the, the tree that's filled with water is so much stronger. So... What's, what's one of the things that we get as we persevere in believing by faith that when we pursue God and knowing him, he's going to create something in us that's motivating. Man, I want to be like that tree. So what's the first thing? We get strength. We get strength. What's the next thing? He says, planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. So it's going to be fruitful, strong and fruitful. Dead trees don't produce fruit. But trees that are planted by the river, by a source of nourishment, God's word, they produce fruit. They are fruitful. And a fruitful tree is a blessing, is it not? If you see an apple tree or a pear tree 
and you walk up to it and you eat some fruit off that tree, man, that's, that's a good thing. That's just like a blessing from creation. Like, God, you created trees and you created it for human beings and we can walk up there and eat it. And if I'm hungry, I feel satisfied. That's a beautiful thing. And he's saying, you'll be that kind of a person. You'll be that kind of a person. So you'll be the opposite of that person that you know in your life who's kind of a drainer. You know how you get around some people and they just kind of feel like they suck the life out of you, maybe for a variety of reasons? And you just don't want to be one of those people. You want to be life-giving, not life-taking. You want to be selfless, not selfish. And, and God says that he's creating that in you by his spirit and his word as you delight in him, as you delight in his word. You're going to be the kind of person that nourishes people. If you're the metaphorical tree, people come up to you, and when they leave hanging out from you, they just feel nourished. They feel alive. They feel blessed. They feel encouraged. So many of you in this church are like that. It's evidence of God being alive in us through his word, through his spirit. Like That's what we should be like, right? You, you have an interaction in the lobby, and you walk away, Man, I just feel encouraged. You all know people like that, where you spend time with them and you just feel encouraged. You feel better off for it. Now, life is not always like that in our interpersonal interactions, but it can be that, like that a lot when we are soaking and planted by the river, right? Well, how do we do that? Well, what did Jesus say? This is the reason why we um, called the church the vine, because Jesus says there's no way that you can be fruitful unless you're connected to the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can't bear any good fruit. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's John chapter 15. And so if we want to be fruitful, we have to just be with Jesus. And one of the main ways that we are with Jesus is through delighting in his word, okay? So strong, fruitful, what else? He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. That's just a statement of endurance. Endurance. The leaf doesn't wither. You can go through a drought, no rain, but if you're planted next to the river, you're going to be strong. And so here's just a cheesy slogan that you can write down in your Bible, write by Psalm 1 if you want to, or just memorize it. It's real easy. The leaf won't wither if it's planted by the river. Okay? Leaf won't wither if it's planted by the river. If you, if you don't have a source, man, when that, when that uh, drought comes, you're just going to shrivel up and die. And God says, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. You can live a life of blessing. It comes through soaking in and, and, and just surrounding yourself day and night with God and who he is through his word. And then finally, it says, in all that he does, he prospers. In all that he does, he prospers. All right, so let's talk about prosperity for a second. Does that mean that God will give you a million dollars in your bank account tomorrow if you just delight in him more? Probably not. Probably not. 
But there is a blessing that comes in this life through knowing God and knowing his word. The Bible says that we reap what we sow. Okay, that's a general principle. It's not always the case, right? There's not always a one-to-one connection between obedience and blessing, right? Sometimes there is. Sometimes, but here's the problem where it gets messy. The, psalm, the psalmist actually gives us a category for this. A few chapters later in chapter 773, the psalmist cries out to God, Psalm 73, why do the wicked prosper? Why do the wicked prosper? So right there we see there's not a one-to-one connection between obedience and prosperity. We see this in our world today. People that are bent on wickedness oftentimes prosper in a worldly sense. So in all that he does, he prospers. We have to understand, how does God define prosperity? Does God define prosperity the way that we define prosperity? See, we have to read these words with God's definition for the words, not our worldly definition for the words or our culture's definition for these words. Why is it that sometimes people who seem to hate God prosper What does prosper mean in this context? Well, I think a good clue for this is just to look at the life of Jesus. Would we say that Jesus was prosperous in his life? Well, yeah. In some senses, yes. But in other senses, no, depending on the definition you're working from. So did Jesus prosper in this life? Well, if there's anybody who delighted perfectly in God's word, it was him. He said, Matthew 4, 4, just quoting Deuteronomy, man shall not eat by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's a statement of delighting in God's word. He was like a tree. You couldn't move him off of his mission. He was strong. He was fruitful. I mean, my word, John 15, he said, I am the one who gives fruit. Like I am the fruitful one. He never completely withered under the pressure of all that was around him? But was he immediately prosperous? Well, he ended his life brutalized beyond recognition. He was deserted by those closest to him. He was a homeless guy who said he has no place to lay his head. Nailed naked to a cross, the ultimate symbol of shame in the Roman Empire. Does that sound prosperous? Not in the way that we typically define it, right? See, I think the psalmist here in Psalm 1, when he says, in all that he does, he prospers, he's thinking of eternity. Your complete prosperity is coming. Just like Jesus, he prospered eternally. Jesus said it himself. Don't put your hope for prosperity on those things that moth and rust can destroy. Lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't touch it. Prosperity in this life is God loving you, holding you, filling you with the Spirit, securing your eternity, giving you an inheritance that's promised, a down payment of the Holy Spirit. Just don't think that prosperity has to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. That's never promised in the Bible. Prosperity doesn't mean the absence of suffering. Now, some of the blessings, don't hear what I'm not saying, some blessings do come to us in our present life, 
And a lot of you will just take two seconds of reflection to man, yeah, man, this has been a blessing. Man, this has been a blessing. Man, God blessed me here. I didn't deserve this and I got that. But let's just make sure we let Jesus and, and the Bible define prosperity. So let's, let's, let's reread the text and let's review what we've talked about today. Blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. What does that produce? What's our motivation for obedience? Well, here's what is produced. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. That's beautiful. As we close this morning, let me just remind us of, of the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is this, that God does not relate to you based on your performance in your Bible reading. God does not relate to you based on your performance in your Bible reading. God relates to you based on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And all that that accomplished to forgive your sin and to conquer the penalty of death and to bear the wrath of God in our place. All that is simply given to you as a gift. So God relates to you not on your performance, but on Jesus' performance. Jesus perfectly delighted in God's word. And so when God sees you, he sees Jesus if you've come to him in faith and repentance. And so if, if you know that your salvation, your right standing with God, your inheritance, your, your identity as a child, a son or daughter of God is based not on your performance, but on God's mercy expressed in Jesus, then guess what that does to your heart? It softens it. And it melts it. And it makes you want to say, God, I love you. Thank you so much for what you've done. And now that I see that what you've done and who you are and your character and all that you did to express your love for me, I just want to be around you. I want to get to know you better. I want to know you more. And so now I read my Bible not as a chore somehow to prove myself that I'm worthy to be loved, like I'm climbing the ladder of spiritual disciplines so that God can maybe look down on me and then say, oh, you're worthy to be saved. That's not the gospel. The gospel is God saved me apart from anything that I did. And since I know that, I just want to be around him. He so touched my heart. And so how do I get around him? And I want to get around him because he's revealed himself. So it's not a, a, a spiritual box to check, a good deed to accomplish. It's simply an expression of a loving relationship that I know blesses me. Like, I, I knew as a kid that there were times when, man, if, if I just sat down and listened to my dad, he would, like, sort things out for me. I, poignant moments in my life where I remember my dad just, like, sorting things out when I was a child. I'm like, don't do it this way. Do it this way. And I would just be like, the lights came on, and I'd listen to my dad, and like, yeah, he was right. Wow, he was right. He knew what he was talking about. And it's the same with our Heavenly Father. He loves us. He's demonstrated his love for us. And so when we have ears to hear and we listen, there's blessing that is found there. There's blessing that is found there. 
in the life of our church, you know, there's, there's kind of two formal ways and one informal way that, that we would just encourage you to pursue delighting in God's word. That's just simply Sunday morning, like uh, sitting under the authority, and I'm doing it too even as I speak it, sitting under the authority of God's word blesses us. And then we, we get in a small group called a city group where we sit around the authority of God's word and we talk about it and we, and we, and we consider it. And then individually, all of us should have a plan for how am I going to go about just exposing myself, soaking in, internalizing what God has said about who he is and who I am and what that means for the world and who I am and what's my, what's my purpose in life. What's my plan for doing that? Do I have a plan? See, if we don't have a plan, we're probably not going to do it. But if we have a plan, then maybe there's a chance that we'll do it. So I just encourage us to have a thoughtful, intentional plan for soaking more in the love of our Heavenly Father for us. And just making that a priority. Because we read verse 3 and we see that God has promised that there's a blessing in this obedience. Strength, endurance, fruitfulness, prosperity as he defines it. So this is the pathway of blessing. This is the bold claim of the Bible. This is the pathway of blessing. And now we have to decide, who do we believe? And I say we go God's way. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this word. Thank you so much for how it helps us orient who we are and what we're all about. Lord, would you help us, Father? Would you help us? We need your help, and we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would um, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.